Welcome back to the DWD Podcast, episode number three of the week. Thank you all for listening in. Today we're going to continue our conversation on the coronavirus outbreak, but we're going to switch things up a little bit. Now we're going to be talking about how the coronavirus has influenced our political sphere, how it's influenced the way that our society has functioned as a whole, particularly government institutions, the election, um, and so on. First thing to talk about is how is this affecting our unity or our division? As you all know, Joey and I are very concerned about the polarization in this country. And surprisingly, Democrats and Republicans at this moment are working together like they probably haven't done for the last 100%. three years. In terms of a specific example, they actually recently passed an emergency bill that provided a whole bunch of benefits for regular people just like you and I. Funding for testing for coronavirus, which is super important because that's how we can address this illness and this outbreak. Unemployment benefits because a ton of people are being laid off, unfortunately, because of the coronavirus. Places are shutting down. There are extensions for Medicaid so that people have health care, which is a huge concern, especially among Democrats. And there's some sick leave that has been implemented. Um, and this is really unprecedented levels of teamwork. And I'm grateful to see this happening because maybe it's a way that we can, you know, find that silver lining and push forward in a similar manner, manner to address the needs of everyday people in the future. A hundred percent. You know, when I think of this outbreak in particular, I think of the times when America was unified in the past. And it's kind of sad to say, um, but at least from my perspective, it seems like the United States unifies when we're in times of struggle and when we're only in times of struggle. So you go back to like World War One, World War II, um, any other war which we've had, any other crisis, um, it seems like those were the times where we have unity. Um, and rightfully so. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, it's interesting how, Partisan politics was such a big thing maybe a week ago, and then once this this whole pandemic started to ramp up, yeah, ramp up and gain speed and in gravity, uh, people kind of said, you know, screw partisan politics. That's not really what we have to focus on. Yeah, but I mean, there's also a bit of a cautionary tale there. The thing that I think about is in states of emergency, which we're currently under a state of emergency, there's this precarious situation where the government has a ton of power and authority. Now, some might say this is a very good thing, and I, I agree with that because we have to have a centralized approach to this issue. But on the flip side, I think it almost creates uh, a state of lawlessness for the government. In a way, the government is able to transcend its own rules. So the example that I think about, another time of unity that a lot of people are mentioning right now in terms of how we're responding politically and as a society is 9-11. And by no means am I comparing this directly to terrorism, but the response is somewhat similar. And during that time period, the Congress, Senate, and House all passed the Patriot Act. Um, and one of my favorite shows, and probably, or hopefully, if, you, if you've never Osama seen it, honestly, Nash. you must see it. Um, that man is a king, and I love him, and I love his comedy. But that whole show is a spin off of, you know, the Patriot Act, which restricted a lot of our freedom, uh, not necessarily of speech, but of privacy, because the government was able to tap into things like our phone calls, emails, whatever it may be. There are a ton of conspiracy theories now about how it's affected us, but we don't like those things. Regardless... It allowed for the government to infiltrate rights that we have as constitutional rights, as human rights, etc. So I have a bit of a cautious situation when it comes to states of emergency in general. That's, do you think that do you think that it's like justified? 
I do think I do think it's justified, especially now and during 9-11. I think th- things like these are justified. But it's important to keep in mind that our rights are not things that we should take for granted. And they can be taken away from us very easily. Mm. We've seen governments backslide into authoritarianism over the last few years. And I'm cautious to see the same thing happen here. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. I also think the response to coronavirus is very different. And I think one might argue that restrictions on your movement could be a violation of your constitutional rights and your human rights. On this case specifically, I think it's the only way to address this public health crisis. Yeah. Um, that said, back to the whole politics and, and division, at the same time that we're seeing unique unity, we're also seeing a different level of division. One that's been pervasive for quite a few years now, especially because of the varying different media sources that we have. So there's very different perspectives about what this outbreak is doing based off of your part, uh, the party alignment that you have. So, for example, Democrats are taking this as a huge deal. They see it as a um, national and international public health crisis, whereas Republicans have been downplaying it to some extent, probably because they have someone in the White House who's trying to address this issue as well as it's an election year. So they're trying to win back their seats. Mm -hmm. One interesting thing I just want to note is MSNBC just came out with a poll yesterday that I find fascinating. And it says that 68% of Democrats are very concerned about the coronavirus, whereas only 40% of Republicans are. Joey, why do you think this is happening? Well, I I first want to start by saying that I don't know, um, at, at least for myself, I'm a bit skeptical of those stats just because... I think that maybe, uh, you know, people can change their their viewpoint on this thing um, 10 times over. So I'm sure there are more Republicans today than last week um, that are concerned about this virus to the extent that um, they weren't before. Um, So I think that those numbers are changing, like, uh, are ever changing. So I don't think that that's like an accurate metric. But um, why? I think I would just... I think that people have differing viewpoints just because of lack of knowledge. I mean, I know as much about the coronavirus as any other average Joe. Uh, I don't, I don't know much about it. Literally your name Uh, is Joe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know much about it. So, um, I mean, it's very easy to downplay it and it's very easy to, uh, overestimate its effects. Um, so I think it's just lack of knowledge, but I think that once we get more knowledge on this sort of virus and, and the impacts which it will have on our society, um, we'll have a more streamlined view of things. Definitely agree. I think the overwhelming narrative that we're seeing, and, and in my opinion, why I think this division might be happening, and you're right to be wary. Polls aren't always correct. Um, but the reason it might be happening is because we're getting very different narratives from the people that we listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a big problem with that because as we've mentioned before, if you're stuck in your own echo chamber and you're just reinforcing your own ideas, you're never gonna actually see the other side of things. So if you only listen to Fox News and you're a Republican, you might never hear a more liberal perspective on this take, say from CNN or MSNBC. And the same is said vice versa. Um, and so it's just something to keep in mind. Remember to get a healthy diversity in the news that you're consuming. Joey actually downloaded an app recently that I kind of find interesting. Again, I've, not sponsored whatsoever. Well, I, I forgot but what, <laughs> it's called it Smart called? News. Yeah, Smart News. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. <laughs> Good yeah, yeah. So I, I recently downloaded this app called Smart News. This isn't sponsored, but it would be cool if you did Smart News. But um, yeah, it's just kind of it, its main objective is to show different um, 
perspectives on a particular issue, in this case being uh, the coronavirus. So you have uh, leftist media and right media um, basically talking about the same issue and so that you can culminate your own personalized viewpoint, which is quote unquote more accurate, so to say. So um, I think it's really cool. I would recommend the app for all of you just to stay updated on news in general, um, especially this growing pandemic. Let's move now to some policies that are being implemented. We talked a little bit about the state of emergency that's occurred. Donald Trump uh, announced that quite a few days ago, but the House just passed or is thinking of passing a, I think it did. a stimulus bill. Yeah. Um, Joe, do you know anything about the stimulus bill slash do you have any takes about why it's important? I think it's like, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. I, I don't know much about this sort of stuff, but I think the main objective is just to pump money into U.S. economy to keep the, everything afloat. So that means like everything from keeping small businesses, um, well, not running, but functioning without yeah. having to deal with the burden of the virus. They've given uh, really like low that. interest loans from the Fed, which is really important right now to keep. Uh, What's the implication? Like, what does that do? The implications of that are, are basically, and I'm no whiz in economics, um, but from what I do understand, it allows people to take out money and not have to pay an exorbitant amount back in the long term. So the way that interest works is over time it accrues where if I take $5 from you and let's say I have a 10% interest every single year, mm -hmm. next year I will need to pay you more than those $5 even though that's all that I took from you. So it's not a direct transaction and that's how most banks work. That's how governments work yeah. as well in their Federal Reserve. So having that really low interest rate is beneficial for companies to continue to do their operations. And if necessary, if they shut down, they can take out a loan and not have to pay an incredible amount in the long term. However, I think an incredibly interesting proposal uh, that is coming back from a very interesting guy who I actually met, Andrew Yang, is the possibility of just pumping cash into the direct consumer. That being every single one of us who's listening. Um, I just don't know, like, how about you inform them on what a UBI is? So universal basic income is providing people with, as, as it's stated, a lump sum every either month or year to sustain them. The goal originally was to alleviate all poverty. Um, and Andrew Yang proposed it to kind of get the, the boot off of people's necks because a lot of Americans can't even afford to have an emergency. And we're facing an emergency right now. Many people cannot go to work. Mm -hmm. So the argument I think he would make, and even Republicans have been making this, like uh, Mitt Romney, um, and to some extent Donald Trump has toyed around with the idea, is to pump money right into the hands of you and me yeah. so that we can go and buy, obviously not in person, but when we need to because we're strapped for cash I right now. I think that there's a few, at least for me, there's a few caveats to, to a UBI being implemented. Uh, the first of which is that, yes, you'll be giving money to people who need it, which I'm all for, but at the same time, like, if people aren't able to go to grocery stores, able to spend that money, like how functional is that? And two is that, you know, after this whole this whole coronavirus thing settles down, hopefully, like how are they going to get rid of a UBI? Well, I think it's that, like, I think it's something that would be temporary. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. Like how how do you think that people how, how do you think people will deal with that? Mm. You know? I'm not totally sure, and I mean it's it's up for debate for a reason, um, but. 
I mean, Joey and I have researched this a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, months, months. Um, I actually think it's a fascinating topic. If you're interested in more of the details, I really recommend a book called Utopia for Realists, which is written by, I believe his name is Rutger Bregman. Um, he's this, I think he's Danish. He might be, I think he's from Holland. Yeah, Danish. Um, and he kind of writes about a pragmatic roadmap for people who have really big dreams. Uh, and one of those dreams for him is a universal basic income along with something like a 15-hour work week. Kind of sounds like Tim Ferriss uh, in that. But he actually thinks it's pragmatic uh, as well as open borders, which is a really radical position to hold. Anyway, very interesting book. I loved reading it as someone who's interested in politics and policy and stuff like that. Last thing in terms of policies that have been proposed is a potential bailout for some companies, in particular some airlines. Um, so as many of you know, many people aren't traveling and they're literally ghost planes. It's really interesting to see on, on like TikTok or on Instagram or Twitter, whatever it may be, people who have to fly home. I have a few friends who just flew home recently because they're not from the States and there's literally no one on the planes. Mm. Um, and that's a really concerning thing because we don't want to let this outbreak drive into a recession. But Joey, the question to you is kind of a loaded one. Do you think this is a good proposal and should it be prioritized above things like a universal basic income for the time being? I, I don't have much research on this sort of thing, but at first instinct, I would say that this, sure, it's important because it's like from an economic perspective, you need these companies to stay afloat in order to, you know, continue thriving after this whole thing uh, ends. But I think that the number one priority should be um, other means like a UBI just because, uh, it serves the people more than this does. Um, and, and the main objective, at least for me, is saving people's lives, not companies' lives. Mm. Um, so if they can prioritize um, the people's lives through a UBI, um, so then, then do it. I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, but at, at first glance, I don't think a bailout would be best. Um, I, th for the I think American a combination people. of these policies would be very important, and I'm grateful to see that they're actively moving on this. I mean... The government, especially Congress, has some, sometimes like a 1% approval rating, um, and that's because things are really slow, and that's by design, but hopefully this is able to speed up the process a little bit because we do have to address the needs of people right now. Turning to voting, we are currently in an election, um, and campaigns are still going on, and so is voting. As a matter of fact, three states— Florida, like some other states— Florida, Arizona, and Illinois had um, their, uh, what's it called? Um, primaries? Yes, their primaries. Sorry, I forgot the word. Primaries today. Um, and that's kind of interesting because Ohio postponed theirs to like mm -hmm. later than June. So we have to wait to see what that's going to bring. We'll probably talk about it a little bit tomorrow. What I'm interested to see is whether or not uh, people will turn out in the same numbers. I'd imagine no. Uh, especially since these states don't have the same access to voting. Like one of the really cool things I saw during Washington's uh, primary was they had drive-by voting. So everyone in the state was emailed a ballot, sorry, not emailed, mailed a ballot. And you could just drop them off outside of a voting station. Um, places like Florida, Arizona, Illinois, I'm not sure if they have the same protocol I'm sure the, the, the parties specifically, the, Dem the Democratic Party and their committee in Florida and Arizona and Illinois are trying to do things to ensure that people can still vote. 
but I'm really curious to see whether or not young people will turn out in a greater percentage than elderly folk, because that will definitely have an impact on who the Democratic candidate could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and aside from that, there are some some interesting stats from NPR that talk about how voters are expressing that they have a ton of concern with coronavirus uh, during this outbreak, and it actually is swaying people towards Biden. They think that he's better and more capable of addressing concerns like mm-hmm. these. Joey, from, any takes? From uh, yesterday's debate, one thing which I uh, tr- truly thought about was this idea of you know, not wanting revolution, which is super interesting to see, especially on the debate stage. I remember Biden said something to the effect of, why do we need a revolution? We need, we need like fixing. Yeah. Um, which I think truly resonates with the American people, especially in a time of uh, panic, quite frankly. Um, so I, I, I truly think that if anything, um, this would probably benefit Biden, but on the other end, um, it might end up benefiting Bernie because young people may be the only people who go out to vote because they're not as afraid of this virus as uh, the older generation. So who knows? It could, it could, it could flip any which way. As a counterpoint, I think Bernie has a very strong case right now in terms of universal health care because one of the incredible problems that we're going to face is what Andrew Cuomo has been talking a lot about because we're from New York. We, we frequently listen to him because he's giving daily briefings, talking about a wave. Everyone's talking about the curve, the curve, flatten the curve, this, that, the other. But it's really going to impact our hospitals. And if people don't have the medical care that they need or are afraid to go, think about this. If people are afraid to go to the doctor, they'll stay home, continue doing what they're doing, and they won't go get tested or they because they might fear that they're going to have to pay something. Luckily now, they don't have to because of the emergency bill. But in terms of universal health care, he has a very strong case to make, in my opinion, about how this can address not only our pandemic now, but pandemics potentially in the future and preventing them from even spreading. That's our takes for today from the DWD podcast. We will see you all tomorrow with a new episode. Peace.